This is a diet of Brussels. Ah, uh, let's talk about the Brady Bunch, uh, because uh, we've had uh, some developments, but maybe not some progress in Parliament. So last night we had uh, assorted amendments to the government motion on what its uh, next steps will be. Uh, I would say high drama, but uh, as I sat there watching it on my laptop whilst trying to cook dinner, uh, I was struck more by the uh, arcaneness of the procedure uh, rather than anything else. Anyway, uh, that aside, I think it's useful just to think a little bit about what was decided uh, and what that means and where this leaves uh, both Parliament uh, and the UK government uh, in this process, because clearly we are at... uh, another one of the numerous critical junctures uh, in all of this. So uh, just to remind you, there were a whole series of amendments uh, laid before the House uh, of varying kinds. Uh, One of the reasons that I didn't talk about this beforehand uh, was that almost on an hourly basis, the composition of those amendments, who was supporting and not supporting them, changed and moved Uh, and it was very clear that there was uh, no real clarity uh, on either side of the house about what was desirable uh, let alone possible. Now in the end uh, the government actually did uh, relatively well if I can put it like that that uh, the Amendments that had caused uh, the most anxiety in number 10, so particularly the one laid by Dominic Grieve, which would have required a series of indicative votes uh, during February, and the one by Yvette Cooper uh, and Nick Bowles, which would have required uh, the passing of a bill to require uh, the government to uh, seek an extension if the, the withdrawal agreement Uh, or the meaningful vote wasn't passed by the end of February, both of those got uh, defeated um, by, well, what was not big margins, but were in the 20s, and so it didn't look that marginal. So those uh, those dangers for the government were were headed off. What uh, did get through was uh, a pair of uh, amendments. Uh, The first one from uh, Caroline Spellman, which adds uh, the note that uh, Parliament rejects the UK leaving the EU without a withdrawal agreement and a framework for a future relationship. Now, uh, you might ask what that means, and of course I will tell you, which is that it doesn't mean anything. Um, As a reminder, uh, and regular listeners, long-standing, long-suffering listeners will remember, the default outcome of Article 50 is a no-deal process. And the only way that you can avoid a no-deal is by agreeing to do something else uh, between the UK and the EU. So uh, whilst Parliament now firmly rejects a no-deal, it can't determine that unilaterally. with the sole exception, of course, uh, before somebody writes in uh, again, uh, of uh, revoking Article 50 altogether. Uh, And uh, that clearly is not uh, on the cards uh, right now. So um, the Spellman uh, uh, Amendment is basically a piece of just we really don't like something, but we're not actually going to do anything about it. And certainly the intention 
uh, is the same as the Cooper uh, amendments, but without any of the legal force. So uh, Cooper would have resulted in uh, a bill which would have uh, tied uh, government's hands and obliged it to seek an extension. And of course, even that uh, requires the approval of the 27, uh, whereas this is just a note to say we don't want it. So Spellman was a softer version of, of that line. The, the one that has gained most of the headlines this morning is the uh, one from uh, Sir Graham Brady, who's the chair of the 1922 backbench uh, uh, committee. Uh, and it says uh, that you add on to the motion requires the Northern Ireland backstop to be replaced with alternative arrangements to avoid a hard border, supports leaving the European Union with a deal, and would therefore support the withdrawal agreement subject to this change. Now, uh, this uh, was the subject of assorted uh, manoeuvrings uh, through the early part of this week. Uh, the government uh, seemed to be backing it, wasn't sure if it was backing it, the ERG at some points was and wasn't going to, to vote for it. Uh, and it really wasn't clear at all what uh, the, uh, the outcome was going to be. Again, in the end, we ended up with a majority, uh, I think, of 17, 16. Uh, so again, not huge, but still, it's a majority. Uh, and the way this uh, parliamentary system goes, majority is majority. Uh, and there we are. The crucial question is, what does this actually require and oblige? Several people have pointed out already, the backstop, as formulated in the withdrawal agreement, is intended to be uh, uh, a temporary uh, emergency provision, rather than one that is determinedly worked to. It's there in case that you can't find another way of avoiding a hard border. Now, uh, in the original formulation, there were there were three options. One was that you have a comprehensive trade deal that uh, negated the need for uh, a hard border. The second was that you found technological solutions that meant that uh, you did it all with computers and drones and stuff like that, that meant you didn't have, you could have the, the checks, but you didn't actually need to see them or, or witness them at all. And option C was the backstop arrangement, which was uh, regulatory alignment for Northern Ireland and then extended uh, and enlarged with this temporary customs arrangement that would apply to the whole UK, which was a, a UK demand to, to, to soften the blow. So already um, there is language in the withdrawal agreement that says that there is a intention to, to work to an alternative to the use of the backstop. Uh, so at one level, you might argue that this is just more of the same. However, uh, it's clear that the understanding that the government takes and that uh, Brady uh, intended, along with his uh, many supporters, was that the government would be able to use this as a mandate to try and reopen negotiations with the EU on the backstop. To say, you keep asking us what we want, our Parliament now tells me that uh, I uh, have the agreement on the withdrawal agreement uh, for uh, ratification as long as you do something about the backstop. Now, uh, here there is uh, a number of issues 
uh, to, to be raised. The first is what constitutes an alternative arrangement. Uh, Brady himself uh, talked about, uh, you know, maybe you, you, you move things into a, a legal codicil or you have some uh, uh, ancillary text that could be attached. That got shouted down by uh, the ERG uh, crowd. Um, and uh, number 10 itself, if you listened to Theresa May in uh, the debate yesterday, asked repeatedly what constitutes alternative arrangements, uh, repeatedly refused to give an answer uh, to that. Now, there's lack of clarity then still about what the uh, answer uh to, to that question, what alternative arrangements might be, is from the British side. So they don't have a clear ask uh, on that. Likewise, the EU, within literally minutes of this uh, amendment being passed, said that it was not prepared to renegotiate the withdrawal agreement and that the backstop was an integral part thereof. Now, um, with that in mind, uh, it's not entirely clear what happens next. Uh, Number 10 has committed uh, to uh, returning to uh, the Commission to have discussions about what is possible. The Commission, uh, very much uh, driven by member state concerns, uh, is not willing to open uh, those negotiations up again. And remember that in a purely technical sense, the negotiations concluded at the point that the withdrawal agreement was signed back in uh, late uh, November. So uh, the renegotiation option looks to be problematic uh, at best. Ultimately, what we see here is a parliament that still is not entirely sure about what it wants or how, <coughs> how it's going to go about getting uh, what it wants. Um, both the Spellman and the Brady uh, amendments are essentially negative. It's about things they don't like rather than things that they do want. It's not that there is a, a constructive uh, option rather than uh, the kind of things uh, we want to block off and stop uh, options that these two amendments both present. If you want uh, to put it in kind of a, a frame, you might uh, consider what the problem is in Parliament. And it strikes me that there are three basic problems uh, that Parliament faces. The first one is uh, one of perception. Uh, a lot of the issues involved in Brexit are just cross-cutting. They, they don't sit along party lines. Uh, so issues around uh, citizens' rights, finances, the backstop, uh, the issue of remaining, hard uh, Brexit, no-deal Brexit. These things kind of just, just cut and touch. They touch on so many different issues that they don't fit within an ideology or a, a traditional grouping. But uh, for many MPs, the perception, the frame in which they approach these things is still party political. If you look at last night's voting, there was a lot of voting on party lines. Uh, and there was still clearly an intention that, you know, at the end of the day, you have to defend your party against attacks from the other side. 
Now, that's true of both Conservative uh, and Labour parties. Uh, it's always been true. And again, uh, one of the most useful ways of understanding uh, what's happening in Brexit uh, in the UK has been uh, just simply to look at the party politics. What does the party politics tell you should do? And then that's probably what uh, has happened uh, in all of this. So from uh, May taking the hard Brexit line to notifying in March 2017 without a, a clear agenda to the whole uh, customs arrangement arguments over the summer to the backstop issue, all of these things are just driven through by party politics and management of the party line. The government lacks a reliable uh, majority given its relationship with the DUP and uh, really that uh, puts a premium on party unity, uh, not just for them but also actually ironically for Labour, that the precariousness of the supply and, uh, confidence in supply arrangement uh, suggests that there are opportunities for forcing uh, a rupture that could lead to uh, an early general election. This said, uh, this is only one of the, the problems that Parliament faces. The second one, if you like, is a strategic one. Number 10 has clearly uh, pursued a strategy which is whittling it down to a choice between the withdrawal agreement as it stands and a no-deal exit. Uh, that's been Theresa May's argument and everything she has done has been a, a move towards that. So running down the clock so that there is uh, no time for alternatives to emerge. Uh, knocking away the threat of an internal leadership challenge before Christmas, demonstrating that a motion of no confidence in the House is also not going to be successful the other week, and really just trying to show that uh, there are no good options available. And interesting, one of the things that, that really has... Uh, uh, died a bit of a death in this week has been the idea of a second referendum, that the lack of support for even uh, a fairly modest uh, extension of Parliament's powers, for example, through the Cooper Amendment, suggests that a second referendum is not going to gain any traction uh, right now. So, barring a radical uh, change of policy, we are looking at something that looks closer to, uh, in Number 10's argument, uh, May's deal or no deal. The problem here is that still a lot of her own party and a lot of Parliament don't believe her uh, in uh, all of this. That they think that there is still uh, uh, room for manoeuvre. So again, the Brady Amendment is about going back and forcing the, the, the EU uh, along uh, in its discussions, uh, which will uh, presumably uh, produce a, a more agreeable settlement for the UK. Again. The, anyone who has followed the negotiations will know that Number 10 has tried many different kinds of ways of resolving this problem. And the reason the backstop looks the way it does is precisely that uh, this seems to be the, the, the only acceptable way or the least unacceptable way uh, to do that. So um, it's not that Number 10 has not thought about this. It's not that it wants the backstop. It's that it's tried to find a way of doing the backstop in a way that it thought would uh, make Parliament uh, uh, accede to the arrangements. The difficulty in this is uh, precisely that uh, Number 10 strategy relies on MPs 
feeling that they have no choice, uh, that they have to go with uh, the deal for fear of what uh, the alternative is. However, because MPs think that they have other choices, uh, and frankly, it doesn't matter whether they actually do, uh, and that's a very debatable point, they may well find uh, that they don't act in the way that uh, uh, Number 10 and the Whip's office would like. And all of this then really feeds into the structural problem that Parliament has faced for a very long time, but which has just become that much clearer uh, at this point. At the moment, you still have a Parliament that is very divided. You have no majority for, uh, no reliable majority for anything. Uh, other than avoiding a no deal. And as we talked about with uh, the Spellman uh, Amendment, uh, you simply uh, are defining a, a negative, a thing you don't want rather than a thing you do want. Um, even the Brady Amendment, you know, saying we'll accept it subject to changes on uh, the backstop arrangement, uh, again, it's not clear what those changes would be that would be acceptable. And number, Theresa May made clear that uh, following renegotiations, uh, there would be another chance to uh, vote on uh, the the meaningful uh, vote motion, uh, and she would uh, allow uh, MPs to make a decision about whether their changes were suitable. So there's already uh, a distinct possibility that even if she were able to secure changes to the backstop, that uh, backbench uh, Tories would say, well, uh, I still don't feel happy about this and I'm still not voting for it. So there's not a reliable majority uh, for anything, uh, but all the different views uh, from uh, no deal uh, exit through to revocation, none of them uh, are uh, so weak as that they can be ignored in this process, that uh, they matter, that they can marshal enough uh, support to block uh, each other. So uh, when everyone is weak, uh, and everyone is weak uh, in this parliament, from uh, number 10 through to the opposition uh, and all points in between, uh, there becomes, a, if you like, a collective action problem. Why should... Uh, I be the one to give way when all of my opponents have uh, fatal flaws and are too weak to, to move themselves. So again, it's normal to, to assume that one has the right course of uh, action in mind and that one has uh, truth and justice uh, behind you. But uh, if you all act like that, then the incentive to, to make a step towards compromise or to reframing the debate seems very small not least because the alternative paths of action look distinctly worse to your preferred outcome. Now, of course, the irony in all of this is that it simply takes us uh, closer to the 29th of March, uh, which is only uh, 58 days, I think, now uh, away, uh, and the no-deal Brexit that uh, Parliament has resolved not to have. Now, uh, all of this really is a long and roundabout way of saying that uh, the basics of the situation remain unchanged, that uh, we still have a parliament that doesn't know its own mind uh, in the sense of being able to have a reliable and sustainable majority for a course of action. We have an EU 
that hesitates to uh, get involved in uh, any kind of reopening of the process, both uh, on principled uh, grounds that uh, it genuinely thinks that this is the way forward and that the withdrawal agreement is uh, the necessary step to moving on uh, in this process, but also just pragmatically it sees a UK that looks uh, dysfunctional and unstable and that conceding ground once might be the start of a slippery slope to doing more of that. So the clock keeps ticking, uh, the uncertainty continues and uh, I think the next couple of weeks as we roll around towards the 14th of February are going to see potentially some more of the things that we've seen several times before, trips to Brussels, statements by everyone, and uh, I think the, the real question in all of this is what will it take for somebody to give way? Do people need fig leaves or do they need real substance in order to uh, change their views and their votes? On that, I, I remain uh, sufficiently unclear that I think even speculating is not the most uh, helpful uh, of ventures. But we will come back uh, to this in our coming episodes, no doubt. And, uh, yeah, if anything makes more sense uh, to me or indeed to anyone else, we'll talk about it.